0: Good morning, church. Well, that was terrible news that we received on Friday about despicable terrorist attacks in Paris. And our hearts and prayers surely go out to the people of France and just people who live sensible lives in unsensible times. And we live in a world of conflicting news, don't we? We get good news, and we get this tra- tragic, terrible news, and we, we live in a tension between great news and terrible news, and uh, that's part of living in these days, and uh, it happens to us on a personal level, too, isn't it? We live in a tension between really good news and terrible news. We get good news like, yes, I'll marry you. That was good news, right? <laughs> still, st- still good news, right? Or uh, you know, it's a boy, or it's a girl, it's a person, <laughs> it's yours. I don't know what would be good news. I don't know, but you know, that's really good news. But then we also live personally with another end of that spectrum. You know, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but we no longer need your services anymore. That's a bad day, isn't it? I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but it is cancer. Some of you have been there? It's a bad day. And we live in this tension between really amazingly good news and terrible news. And um, as a pastor, I feel like I, I live in a tension between that eternally and biblically as I serve you as pastor. Because on one hand, in Matthew 25, Jesus looked to his people and he said, he said, Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He's like, Welcome home. You served me. You followed me. You followed me all the way home. Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And those are words we're longing to hear, yes? On the other end of that same scale are words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 when he looked at people who were coming to him who said, we've showed up at all the right times we did this stuff and and he said to them, away from me you evildoers I never knew you. And those are terrifying words, aren't they? I mean, we rejoice in anticipation of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. And we live in some kind of ongoing fear of hearing, away from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. And there's an incredible incredible space between the two. And nothing terrifies me more as a pastor than preaching the wrong message. Nothing terrifies me more than preaching an incomplete message. Because the the book of Hebrews says there's a day coming when I personally will have to give account for my ministry and I take that very seriously, that I will personally have to give account for you. And that's a terrifying thing to think that I could possibly hear you almost told them the truth. You almost told them the whole truth. And so this morning I'm living in this spirit-led tension between these two possibilities. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And away from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. And you're feeling that tension yourselves right now. And what if I told you there was a passage of Scripture that I could share with you this morning that would catapult you to this end? catapult you to the well-done end and that you could have that and I could lay my head on my pillow tonight knowing that I have told you the whole truth would you want to hear it turn in your bibles to Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 through 28 now the context of this passage is pretty straightforward If you've been reading your Bible very long, you know that it's in one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Gospels, and they are specifically the account of the life of Jesus, and they contain the very words of Jesus. And so, it is truly our primary source for understanding who Jesus is, what Jesus is about. So, the context of this passage is there are words of Jesus himself in the Gospel of Matthew. Notice also that in chapter 16 that it's getting toward the end of Jesus' time on earth. And so what he's saying is of utmost importance because he's about to convey to his disciples the gospel. And he's going to leave and leave it to them to leave to us. And so what he's about to say is very important. And also notice that specifically the context is in verse 24 That this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, to the twelve. He's speaking directly to the disciples. But he's telling them uh, critical, critical information he's sharing with them about the presentation of the gospel after he's gone. And so that's the context. And here are the words. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, And take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And contained in verse 24 alone are three non-negotiable elements of being a true, authentic disciple of Jesus Christ. The words that Jesus shares here are words for everyone. It says, Then Jesus said to His disciples, if anyone would come after me. If anyone. So he's telling his disciples, you're going to be sharing the message under the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm about to share with you is, is critical information for anyone who says that they want to follow me. So this is universal anyone. What Jesus is about to say applies to every single person who ever wants to call Jesus Savior and Lord. No exceptions. If anyone would come after me, he must. And then he uses the words must. And so he says, what I'm about to say, these three essential elements of following me, these are musts. These are not suggestions. These are not options. These are what one must do, anyone, anyone, anytime, must do in order to follow Jesus. So... Jesus was not making exceptions or the possibility of exceptions for anyone when he said these things. And he said the three things, the three essential elements of being an authentic follower of Jesus Christ are these. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must deny himself. Deny himself. He must stop making himself the center of the universe. He must stop making himself the center of life. But he must actually deny himself if you're ever going to have a hope of following Jesus. I have a news flash for you at church that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about the glory of God is about restoring humanity to a place of reflecting the glory of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about the glory of God. Because we were created on this earth to reflect the glory of God. So that as God shines on us, we reflect glory back to Him. But because of original sin and the predicament of the human condition, we have fallen from that place. And so the gospel is about restoring us to our intended place in the created order by the work of Jesus Christ. Why? So that God can receive maximum glory. So the gospel itself is about God. It's not about us. So for Jesus to come along and say, if you want the gospel, it has to begin by denying yourself, is perfectly in line with what the gospel really is about. The gospel isn't about getting you saved. The gospel isn't about getting you to heaven, though both of of those things happen. The gospel is about restoring fallen humanity to a place where we can reflect the glory that God deserves. That's what the gospel is about. But I have good news for you, too. The good news is that though the gospel is about God, it's for us. It's not about us, but we are the happy beneficiaries of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so that part of restoring us to the place where we can reflect his glory here and in heaven forever is that we get saved and we go to heaven after this. So while the gospel is not about us, it's for us. And that's an important distinction. Does anybody find that distinction helpful? The gospel is about God. But it is critically given for us. And the first thing that Jesus says is that if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself. You have to stop making it about you. You have to stop conditioning your evaluation of your own spirituality by how happy you are. It's not about that. That the gospel is about God. And a terrible thing has happened in the church in our lifetime in that in the church, the gospel isn't about God anymore. It's about something else. And if we just look at, for example, the Roman Catholic Church, I say with all due respect that the Roman Catholic Church is not about God. It's about the church. And it's about the perpetuation of the church as an institution. And it's about the perpetuation of the church as an institution to keep people in check so that they have to come to the church with a hope of meeting God. And that is against everything that the book of Hebrews says. But what's worse is that the Protestant church, us, we're not even about the church. That the gospel in the Protestant church is about the individual member. It's about the person. And whether we can meet their needs and whether we can keep them happy. And so we, we talk about what's, what's making you unhappy. Well, maybe we have some scripture for that, or maybe we can come up with a program apart from scripture for that, and maybe we can make you happy. And so the gospel becomes about making you happy. We've made it about our, our own sense of happiness, and so what do we see as a result of that? We see otherwise well-meaning believers moving from church to church to church to church to church to church to church, depending on whether or not they are. Some of you have used the phrase, "Well, I just wasn't happy there anymore," and we couch it in religious words like, "I wasn't being fed." No, you weren't being given candy. And so you weren't happy anymore. And so what happens is we're flying in the face of what Jesus says it even means to follow him by making our experience about our own level of happiness. And we're not listening to Jesus when he says it begins by denying ourselves. You know, there's an incredible difference between happiness and joy. And Jesus never said, I have come to make you happy. He said, I have come to give you joy and that you might have it abundantly. And we can have joy in the midst of the most unhappy circumstances. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And yet we make happiness. We bow at the altar of happiness. Some of you are here right now because this place makes you happy. And the tall bald guy's funny. I make you happy. Buckle up. Buckle up. Because if I have not done something yet to thoroughly offend you, some careless comment, if I have not yet done something to thoroughly offend you, it just means you haven't been here long enough. (laughs) If you are still happy, it means you're new. (laughs) And the clock's running, the fuse is lit. And you will, at some point, become unhappy, and you will have to make a decision. Is this whole following Jesus thing really about my happiness, when he said, if anyone would come after me, he must begin by denying himself? Maybe, maybe there's something better than happiness. You think? You see, what's happened in America is that the core of our happiness is something we call comfort. So comfort equals happiness. And when we're uncomfortable, then we're unhappy. And so as long as we can keep things comfortable, then you're happy. And you feel like you're making progress in your spiritual walk. But the moment we come with some of the stuff of the scripture that says, that doesn't make me very happy, then you become uncomfortable and you look for a more comfortable place. This is the way of things. But when we, when we bow at the altar of comfort and happiness, then we abandon the possibility of living according to our convictions. We have to make a choice. Because comfort is the adversary of conviction. That's why you eat Doritos. You eat Doritos because they make you... Happy. And they're meant to make you happy. They've got all kinds of salt and all kinds of secret chemicals to keep you coming back. Because Frito-Lay has this plan to sell a whole lot of Doritos. And when you eat them and you eat the whole bag, don't tell me you don't. (laughs) I'm not going to eat the whole bag and I eat the whole bag. I know you do. Because we're the same. When you eat the whole bag, instead of the carrot sticks... You did in doing that when your convictions told you that the the veggie tray would be better for you, but the Doritos said, but I will make you happy. (laughs) Am I telling you what you already know? (laughs) And so you're making a choice, and you're saying, I'm going to choose my comfort over my convictions. And so you eat the whole bag, and what happens 15 minutes later? shame guilt because you promised yourself that you were going to live according to your convictions do you know where i'm going church jesus said if anyone would come after me let him deny himself because if you live according if you live according to your comfort and your need for comfort and if you make that central you abandon the possibility of living according to your convictions. And I want to tell you this. Part of the reason 121 people are dead in Paris today is because we're not living according to our convictions. We're living according to our comfort. And we're setting, we're setting an atmosphere, the temperature, on a global level now that says it's about comfort. And ISIS has free reign now. Because no one's living according to their conviction. They're afraid of nothing. I see something happening in the American church, it's terrible and wonderful all at the same time. You know, the numbers are decreasing in American free church. They're starting to we're leaking, leaking people. And I think I figured out what's happened. I figured out that the church has finally imploded in on its baby boomer leadership. Because those of us who are baby boomers, we know we started churches like the Vineyard that were cutting edge and raw because we wanted to follow Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we were radical and we were sacrificial and there was nobody we wouldn't tell about Jesus And then little by little by little by little, we started making it about us, and about our comfort, and what I like, and what I need, and my self-actualization. And when we did that, we told Jesus, no thanks, I'm not going to deny myself, we've got this. And in doing that, the church is caving in on itself. Because there's no Jesus to hold it up. This is what happens when we make the gospel about ourselves. So he said, first of all, you, you must deny yourself and then and take up his cross. Take up his cross. And beloved, this does not mean get new jewelry, get new Christian stuff to wear. When Jesus said cross, he was talking about a bloody, cruel instrument of destruction he was talking about the very thing that he was going to be nailed to upon which his blood was going to flow for our sakes and he said if you're going to come after me there's going to be a cross involved there's going to be a cross and i believe first of all that this means that our only way to be restored to our place in the intended created order there is through the cross of jesus christ that's the only way Is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins to restore us and that we come in full repentance and surrender and contrition and ask Him to come and forgive us of our sins, wash us with His blood and restore us to that place that that's the way. But there's another side of the cross and that is a cross of absolute surrender to the will and way of God. Absolute surrender. Paul said that we are crucified with Christ so that Part of taking up our cross is actually to volunteer for our own death. I have good and bad news for you. I mean, the good news is Jesus wants to raise you to new life. The bad news is he's going to kill you first. And if you don't go through that, you're not there. Because Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. And it's only then when you go through the cross and offer yourself for execution that you're really ready to serve him, that you're really free to serve him. It's not until this flesh is crucified that I can stop living for the flesh and start living for God. It's when my flesh is crucified by the cross that I don't care what other people think about me when I share the gospel. It's when I'm set free. From the need for approval or whatever it is, fear of rejection or whatever it is that is now keeping us from being the believers we used to be. In many cases, it's only when we die that we're in the position where we're ready to fully serve Him. So many years ago, in one sixty-five A.D., there was a church father called Justin, and he was one of a number of a number of uh, men who were used by God in the time period between, you know, when Jesus actually lived and died and rose again and, and the time period that the scriptures were formed for us so that we had a Bible, you know, that took a long time. And so in this space in between, God used, God used men that we now call the church fathers to give guidance, bring direction and life to the church. And Justin, who became known as Justin Martyr, Justin Martyr was a, uh, was a man who his primary or biggest contribution, I should say, to the works of the church at that time was his interpretation of the substance of Jesus, and who Jesus is, and what he's about, and, and uh, the, the divine logos. And it's a field of study called Christology. It's the study of Christ. And remember, they're just coming off of an Old Testament fulfilled in their midst and like what just happened and they didn't have 18 versions of the bible to carry around to look it up and so justin martyr was one of these guys who brought a lot of life into the church and he lived as a passionate a passionate believer under the tyranny of the romans and so his life was always in danger but the more dangerous it was the more passionate he became and so, Justin had, uh, he had a, a following of students who were learning from him and who were helping him, I'm sure, work out these many things before the Lord. And uh, there was a time at which Emperor, Roman Emperor Antoninus called him in front of him. And uh, he had heard about Justin's great faith and his passion for the Lord Jesus. And this was illegal in that day. This was illegal because it was incumbent upon every Roman citizen to pray to the emperor. And so he brought Justin and his students before him and he said, you need to stop praying to Jesus, you need to stop believing in Jesus, and you need to, you need to pray to the emperor. And his first response was, I will pray for the emperor, but I cannot pray to the emperor. And Antoninus kept escalating this and said, you don't understand what danger you're in. I hold your life in my hands, and you need to denounce your faith in Jesus. And Justin Martyr said, he said, how can I turn away from what is true for what is false? And uh, Antoninus went on and he said, you don't understand. He said, if you don't, if you don't denounce Jesus Christ, I'm going to cut off your head and I'm going to cut off the heads of all of your students. And Justin Martyr, he said, you can kill us, but you can't harm us. You can cut off our heads, but it won't hurt us. It will result in our graduation day. He said, you can kill us, but you can't harm us. And Antoninus cut off all of their heads. To where we have to believe on that day they heard, well done, good and faithful servants enter into the joy of your Lord. Don't you wonder, how do you become that guy? How do you have that sort of resolve? Don't you just want to be that guy? Living according to your convictions, to the point of death. Don't you want to be that person? How do you become a person who can say, You can kill us, but you can't harm us? By dying first. By understanding that authentic followers of Jesus Christ are already dead. You're crucified with Christ. The Bible says you are not your own. You are bought at a price. You're already dead. You're just waiting to go home. When you can take up your cross and offer yourself in that way, then the rest of these worries that you have just so substantially fall away. You don't care about them to the point of saying, I hope the blade is sharp. Last night I was reading a Barna report specifically on why so many young adults are leaving the church. And Barna research group tends to be a pretty reliable group and they do a lot of research along these lines and they were listing the six top reasons they discovered that young adults were saying we don't have any use for the church anymore. These are people in their 20s. And uh, among them were... uh, the exclusivity of the gospel. I was interested to see that. You know, you young adults, uh, my heart just goes out to you, because you're living in a different world than I lived in when, when I was your age, and you're living in a very pluralistic world where, you know, I mean, when I was your age, Muslims were something, but they were, like, out there somewhere, and now, you know. And so young adults are saying, I want to believe in the exclusivity of the gospel, but how does it all fit in? to everybody else, and they don't feel like that question is really being uh, answered. That conviction isn't really being stood on by the church. It's too vague. Another one of the reasons was that the sexual mores of our culture have changed so much that they can't figure out how to bring a, a biblical perspective to the sexuality of culture, and that the church isn't doing a good enough job actually talking about that and standing on what the Bible says and making... You know, it's just way too much compromise in that. But the number one reason that Barna found, discovered that young adults were leaving church, churches in mass was, was this, that they, they said in one way or another through this research that young adults felt like the church was too protective of itself. Here's what they meant by that, that the church that they know has so turned in on itself and is so consumed with its own needs and meeting its own needs and bowing at the altar of its own happiness that they're saying, who would die for that? Young adults, they like us, they want something to die for. They don't want to die, but they want to live with something to die for. And they look around at churches like ours and they go, I don't want to die for that. Just so I can make people happy? They, they want to take up their crosses. And there's small opportunity for them to do that. Third thing Jesus said we must do if we're going to come after him. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We've got to follow Jesus. We've got to quit with all these excuses about why that passage of Scripture doesn't apply to us anymore. We've got to quit with the justification and the rationalization of what is clear in the teaching of Jesus. We've got to follow him. And oh, the places you'll go if you follow Jesus, I promise you. Because he'll lead you to places of incredibly bright light. I mean stunning bright light in worship but I need to warn you that if you're following Jesus, if you're really following Jesus, he will not only lead you to places of incredibly bright light, but he will lead you into the places of the deepest, deepest darkness. Why? Because you're light now. And the darkness needs the light. And if you reflect on your present Christian experience and you decide that, you know, I'm a lot more about the light than I am the darkness, that I'm all about just coming here and hearing the music and getting my Jesus on, and it being in the light, and not going, you're not being led into places of darkness to bear that light, then you're not following Jesus, because that's where he goes after this. That's where he goes after this. If your biggest concern is how long the freaking line is of Bob Evans, you're not following Jesus. He's got something so much better for you. Something to live for. Something worth dying for. And I know I've told you the story about being in the infirmary in the leper colony in Bhargur, India. This is where the sick lepers are in a forsaken leper colony. This is where the sick of the sick are. And I'd been to that leper colony a number of times before, and the last time that I was there, I said to Pastor Stephen, I noticed this other building, and I said, what is that? And he went like this, he goes, oh, that's the infirmary. Well, that's where sick people are. And I said, can I go in there? And he said, yes. And I went in there, and I just saw the darkest version of humanity I've ever seen anywhere. There were eight or ten individuals lit, and they were on little straw mats this thick on the concrete. They were this big around, they were so skinny, and they were half-dressed, and their hair was wild, and their eyes were wild. And when I walked in, they reached out like this to me. I mean, it's like the nightmare you hate. And the Spirit of God came over me, and each one I just got down, and I just knelt down right next to them, right in their face, and I put my hand on them, and I prayed for them. And the Spirit of God came, as so I went around to a number of them. And that was that's the darkest, darkest place I've ever been. And the presence of Jesus was so strong as I went in there. Following him. When I came out, I asked Stephen, I said, how come you've never shown me that before? And he said, because I knew that's what you would do. I think if our following Jesus is all about the light, we're not following Jesus Because that's where he's going after this. And he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. It's not about you. Take up your cross. Let's get first things done. Let's get you dead. And follow me. Then you'll be ready to follow me. And I think that we are living in a time where this could not be more important. And I think we can do something about what's happening in the world by living according to our convictions. I think we're living in a time that is almost a full prostitution of the Declaration of Independence. You know, the Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers said that there are certain unalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. Liberty. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you what? And if the sun sets you free, he says you'll be free indeed. Liberty. And the pursuit of happiness. Where we've gone off the rails there is the intention of our founding fathers that was meant to be a description of our economy And that we would be a part of the free enterprise system so that if you want to start a business, nothing would hinder you. There would be no king that could tell you no. There would be no caste system that could tell you no. But that you would be free to pursue that kind of happiness in the context of life and liberty. And our founding fathers, and I know they weren't all Sunday school teachers. I realize that Thomas Jefferson was a functional deist and that Ben Franklin had a life. I get that. But at the core of the core of the Declaration of Independence and every related document is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe. And so what we've done with the pursuit of happiness now is we have accommodated everybody in what they consider to be their pursuit of happiness. And so if that's what makes you happy, yay, we're going to make a way for that to happen because we want you to be happy. Oh, you want to be a communist and be happy? Oh, great, we'll make a space for you. I got news for you. If you want to be a communist, go to a freaking communist country and be a communist. That's not what happens here. And that's not what the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution is about. And what we're doing, Christians, by not living according to our convictions, is we are flushing that thing down the toilet every day. And every time we apologize for who we are as believers we flush it again. Every time we make provision for everybody in the interest of their being happy, we flush again. And so Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. No, he said he must do that. That's it. You gotta. There's no other way to be a Christian. I can't look at you and know whether you're a Christian or not. I wouldn't make that decision even if I could. But I know what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, he must do these things. So he's demanding a response. In Matt Chandler's book, The Explicit Gospel, he said it this way. He said, Jesus put it simply, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. The gospel is such power that it necessitates reaction. Jesus Christ has worked such an outrageous wonder that he demands response, whether hatred or passion. Anyone ambivalent about what Christ has actually done just isn't clear on the facts. To present the gospel, then, is to place a hearer in an untenable position. The heart of the hearer of the gospel must move, either toward Christ or away from him. And I don't want any of you to move away from Christ unless you're comfortable in the middle because the middle isn't saved. If you're comfortable in the middle, I pray that you take great offense at what I'm saying and you run out of this place and you never come back and you hide in a corner until God brings some other bearer of the gospel to you so that you can turn and be saved and follow Jesus. Because I'm much more concerned about your eternal life than whether or not you fill one of these seats. And you're precious to us. But I can't tolerate the thought of when I stand before God, hearing Him say, you almost told them the truth. You almost told them the whole truth. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And if you're sitting there stirred by that right now, if there's a stirring inside of you that you're ready to respond to, then come up here now. Just come. Just come. Just let the Lord work in your heart. Because the moment you're having right now is a moment between you and the Lord. And I'm not your priest, so I don't stand between you. And in reality, I can't fix what what's wrong. But Jesus has. And so would you just respond to the Lord in the ways that he's stirring you?